Welcome back. Gather around. You have come to the place, the place where we stretch toward God's high calling, where we recognize that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I'm so glad you've joined me. So come on, gather around. Let's reason together with what God has to say, and let's see what he then has to say to us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida, a real church with real people where we struggle with all of the real issues that you have, and we try to continue on, to walk with God, to be faithful. Interestingly enough, last Sunday, we sang a song in our church. You may be familiar with it. It's not unpopular. It's probably past its peak popularity, but the title is Find Us Faithful. It's really a prayer. You know, you sometimes you sing prayers. It's our prayer that we would be found faithful at the end of our lives. And I hope that's your prayer, too, that you would be found faithful. Well, here on the program, we want to be faithful to that which is true and helpful, that which guides us in the way we need to go, that which is consistent with the teaching of the Bible, and that which will help all of us develop that kind of faith that has absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And this week, we're going to touch on a few things. We're going to revisit a little bit of what I talked about last week at the end, kind of put a bow around that, maybe, or maybe just remind us again. We're going to talk about, yeah, I talked about lies last week, but I found an article this week that that spoke so eloquently about the, the real devastating impact of lies and what it's had on the world and what it continues to have, because we see it all the time. And we're going to get to this, too. This is Instant Sermon Sunday at our church. We do this every now and then, every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month. And I just simply invite the people to come and to bring their questions or thoughts, things that might spark a conversation. They know they can easily ask a question that I couldn't answer. So we're pretty well agreed it's not stump the pastor because that's way too easy. But the idea is the things that are on our mind or the things that God might spark us to think about, can we have a little conversation? And can we think about those things differently so we understand God's point of view? So I brought a few questions with me to the program this week, and I hope you'll find them helpful. They're the kind of things that, that people ask, and a couple of them probably are the kinds of things people ask, but they don't really know how to put into words. And so I've tried to think about how to, how to help us think about some of those kind of things based upon my interactions and my conversations with people. But I want to start where we ended last week. Last week, toward the end, I really got to what I wanted to get to, and that was purposeful to leave you thinking about it. If you didn't hear last week's program, you can find the podcast and listen in. It's available on the America Out Loud radio network website. You shouldn't have too much trouble finding it. But I was challenging us to think about, do we change so that we can receive the love of God Or do we receive the love of God, and therefore that love enables us to change? And of course, when I say it that way, you're immediately going to say, well, of course, it's the love of God that enables us to change. And that's right. So, do you have the capacity to do whatever God asks you to do? You know, all my life I've had people say, oh, I couldn't do that. 
And sometimes it's because it really didn't match what God had given them in terms of giftedness and abilities to do, and that's fine. They should not do that. They should concentrate on the things that God has made them to do. I respect that. I want everybody to respect that. I'm sure you respect that. But I've also had plenty of times that people just, they just sit and they don't offer to help. They don't offer to do anything. They just seem to have said without saying, I can't do that. Or many times it's, I won't do that. So really what I want to remind us about is to say, listen, if God is calling you to do something, or if God has given you gifts to do something, however you want to think about it. You can think about it both ways. God won't call you to do something he hadn't give you gifts to do, and he doesn't give you gifts so you won't use them. Whatever way you think about it, I want us to remember that when God puts it on our heart, when God gives us the ability, that includes the capacity to do what he calls us to do. And sometimes we think, oh, that's beyond me, and we come up with all these how should I say, falsely humble excuses. A lot of that goes on around churches, I think. People are so caught up with that. And it isn't about you. It's about God. But if God is in it, then you should own it. And if God is in it, he'll give you the capacity to do it. And I know I've been I've been there. I, as I thought about this last week. I thought, uh, yeah, there's been a few times that I didn't think I had the capacity to do what I thought God was prompting me to do. And it causes me to to rethink that. So I want to approach those kind of things with the confidence that if God is asking me to do it, I have the capacity to pull it off because he doesn't set me up for failure. And I want you to think about that too, because a lot of times God stretches us and we think, oh, I can't do that. But whatever it is that you need, when God is in it, he will provide it. So just open your heart, expand your understanding, open your mind, Whatever you want to call it, however you describe it, be open to God leading and guiding you in the way he wants you to go. And when he does, assume, because he's called you, that he'll give you the capacity to do it. Now, just as a check, don't be ridiculous without confirmation. You can always ask faithful people, maybe your pastor, maybe your good friends who are faithful to God and and do what God calls them to do. Ask them if they agree that God is in this and you should do it. Occasionally people just have these kind of grandiose ideas of what they should do and then they get into all kinds of trouble. I'm not encouraging that. I'm encouraging us to use our sound minds and our spirit-directed thinking evidenced by the spiritual gifts that we have because those are a gift of God to put into play for his kingdom. Well, it sounds like I'm getting into the whole spiritual gifts idea again, and I could easily get into that, but that isn't the whole purpose today. The purpose today has involved some other things, but it also really involves the the reminder that if God wants us to do something, he will give us the capacity to do it. Now, another thing that you've heard me mention from time to time, and I mentioned it last week, and I want to take some extra time today to talk again about this problem of lies in the world. And if you go to Romans chapter 1, then I'm not going to read the whole chapter of Romans chapter 1. There are some very pointed statements that God makes. Now, when you read those, you're going to look at some of those and say, well, that doesn't sound very politically correct. Who cares? Are we about being politically correct? Are we about being biblically correct? So if you expect to read something there that might 
upset your day or stretch your thinking or surprise you, if you haven't read it, it might do all of those things. But remember, it's the Word of God. The church has received God's Word down through the years and, and affirmed that this is Holy Scripture that speaks to us, and we need to hear it. And in Romans chapter 1, it talks about the problem of lying. Uh, in verse 18, it talks about suppressing the truth. Well, the same thing as lying, isn't it? If we suppress the truth, we've seen some of that go on. It goes on later to talk about in verse 25 how people exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Well, that's a pretty serious statement. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Well, it goes on to say when that happens, all kinds of terrible things happen to people. It says in verse uh, 21, they become futile in their thinking. Their hearts become darkened. Some of the results of that are mentioned in verse 29. They were filled with every kind of injustice, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, craftiness. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious toward parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, yet they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. Straight talk from God about deception, about lying. And because I think about that, and because I'm alert to that, and, and I occasionally come across other things, I, I was very much uh, uh, drawn into this article written by Everett Piper. Some of you may know the name Everett Piper. I've probably referred to him once or twice on the program before. I don't really remember. He's a former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He has since retired from that position. He does some work in his community and he does some public writing. This comes from an opinion piece that he wrote for the Washington Times. I think he writes every week for the Washington Times, but I couldn't say that for sure. But here's an article that he wrote. It was uh, dated Friday, January 20th, 2023, and it's titled, Consequences of Deceit and Deception. When people lie, people die. And he starts the article with the same warning that we get from Paul, from Romans chapter 1. You heard me read that. And then he goes on to remind us of some of the things that have happened down through history as a result of people lying. Hitler lied about the supremacy of the Aryan people. And because of that, millions died. It's continued on because people have believed that lie. Millions of Africans died because of the racist lies that fueled the transatlantic slave trade and slave trade in other places, not just transatlantic, I might add. He says at least 100 million men, women, and children have been killed in the last century alone because of the grand lies of Mao, Pol Pot, Castro, Chavez, and Lenin. It's an irrefutable lesson of Scripture, he concludes, and history. People die when people lie. Well, you know, that's really true. We don't often think about it that way, but these ideas have led to untold numbers of people dying. Well, you want to bring it a little closer to our time. Most of my life, I have heard the progressive lie that recreational drug use is harmless. 
well, what's the harm? You know, why can't people use some drugs? They just, they just need a little recreation. They just want to feel better. Those kinds of things. Well, there was an article written again in the Washington Times that said that drug poisoning deaths in this country, the United States, have increased by over 2,000% over the past two decades. Now think about it. In 20 years, death by poisoning, poisoning from drug use, has increased by 2,000%. We now have over 106,000 people dying each year because of that progressive lie that recreational drug use is harmless. Think about that. That's 106,000 people. That's an enormous number. Now, the writer of the article suggests that we consider this to understand the scale of that problem. So he says, consider the Vietnam Memorial Wall in Washington. I've been there. I've seen that wall more than once. It's an impressive memorial to all the men and women that died in Vietnam. Sad, but impressive. Very sad. You, you can't walk by it without being uh, affected with the realization that so many people died in Vietnam. Now, apparently 58,000 names are on that wall. It's a big wall, a lot of names. It took 16 years of war in Vietnam to amass that many deaths. It's a terrible thing. 16 years, 58,000 people died. But here's what you need to consider when you think about the perspective. 106,000 people dying each year is, is about double what it took 16 years in Vietnam. Sad as that is, it's, it's unbelievable that we, we promote the lie of recreational drug use and 106,000 people die each year. That's in each year almost twice what died in the whole 16 years of the Vietnam conflict. Terrible stuff. Another writer, also in the Washington Times, talks about the uh, problem of cold weather. Cold weather. You know, we hear about global warming but we don't hear about the problem of the cold. And apparently the cold weather has been particularly lethal in India. Cold weather involves disease and it becomes a bigger killer in India than heat. The writer, this article says, and again, I'm quoting from Everett Piper, who's quoting another article. Every year, millions of Indians find themselves in the midst of record-breaking cold even as the mainstream media and others obsessively speak of catastrophic global warming. So, so let me ask you, let's test that. Have you ever seen an article? Maybe you've never heard anybody even mention it until now. The problem of, of cold weather. The writer of the article says there has been a 1.6-fold increase in cold wave days in India in the last decade. He thinks we're just not paying attention to that because we're believing what he calls the lie of global warming. He goes on, extreme cold and moderate cold kill a lot more people than moderate or extreme heat, with 88% of temperature-related mortalities caused by cold rather than hot weather. Now, where have you ever heard that? Now, you might say, well, we still don't know whether it's global warming or whatever. You may still be wondering because you hear science one way and the other way. But you don't very much hear science that talks about the dangers of cold weather. So 
perspective. What do you think? Perspective. We need to have the truth. Are we suppressing the problem of cold weather? That's what Romans said. People suppress the truth. We have problems. Well, that's how about, how about the, uh, oh, the horrendous lies that have been told about the abortion problem. I mean, really. We saw the, the fruits of that not long ago in the United States House of Representatives. Earlier this month, there was a battle about a, a bill that was brought to a vote. It's called the Born Alive Bill. The bill would have simply made it necessary, manda- mandated it, that any baby who survived a botched abortion should be given immediate life-saving medical care. That's all it did. If, a baby does, if the baby doesn't die, which is horrendous enough to think about, but if the baby survives the abortion procedure, then the medical people are required to, to give that baby medical care, save its life. That's what we do when people get into a distress, isn't it? It's what happened. Yeah, I'm going to make the connection. It's what happened with Damar Hamlin on the football field. His heart stopped, and, and they moved, rhetorically speaking, heaven and earth to save his life, and aren't we glad they did? But here is a bill voted on in the United States House of Representatives called the Born Alive Bill. 210 congressional Democrats voted against that bill. They voted against saving the life of a baby that survives a botched abortion. Only one Democrat congressman voted in favor of it. In other words, all but one congressman in the United States House of Representatives in the party of President Joe Biden voted in favor of infanticide. The live abortion has been pervasive, and it's sad. And one more, I, I hardly want to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about it in the most sanitized terms. He's more plain in the article Everett Piper is, Dr. Piper is much more plain. But he talks about, and, and here's, the, here's the headline. Let me just give you the headline. It's, it's, just, it's just mind-boggling. Again, remember, a lie can be suppressing the truth. So here's the headline. It comes from a, a publication called The Western Standard. And I believe it refers to Canada, although Dr. Piper isn't quite that specific. But you'll understand why when I read the headline. Alberta transgender wants medical assistance in dying after sexual reassignment surgery goes sour. Now I think it, it means Canada because it referred to Alberta, but I don't want to. I don't want to assume that too much. I just want to clarify that. And um, all my Canadian friends, I, I have a warm spot in my heart for Canada, so I'm not picking on Canada for sure. But can you imagine? Think about this. Here's a man who underwent sexual reassignment surgery, probably because the medical people advised him to. Certainly they didn't stop it. They didn't say no. They cooperated with it. And now he has been so badly butchered by the lies of the LGBTQIA plus whatever that he wants to die because his life is such a mess. He's been in a confusional migraine for 22 days at a time. He couldn't remember whether he was a man or a woman. He tried to raise his concern with his doctors because he was so confused. And he hardly knows. 
He's despairing of life is what it amounts to. He just wants to die. He knows the damage that's been done to him cannot be reversed. He just is exhausted by the lie that has ruined his life. Well, thanks be to God, there is salvation for him, and there is help and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I certainly pray that he finds that help and hope because he does not deserve to be in this situation by any means. But here we see, and we'll leave this article and go on to some other things, but here we see clearly in multiple situations the harm of lying. You know, sometimes we think of lying as just, well, I don't tell my neighbor the truth when they ask me something, or, or I lie to my kids because I don't want them to know the truth. Or it's a little white lie, we say. Now, we need to properly define what a lie is, and a lie is deliberate deception, all right? Deliberate deception. It's not an error. It's not an error when you say something, believing it to be true, and later find out you were wrong. That's just a mistake. But a lie is a deliberate deception, and that's what we've seen in too many of these cases. And that's why I get so so conscious of lying and its dangers, because it's going to destroy us if we let it continue. And we need to be very careful not to let it continue. We need to be very careful not to believe the lies that are going on, from recreational drug use to the lies about abortion to the lies about this transgender stuff. Human beings are suffering the penalty. And you're probably aware the Bible says the wages of sin is death. People are dying because of the sin of lying. And we need to put a stop to it. We need to rise above it. And I hope you will. I know we can. So why don't we agree to just do it? Well, as I mentioned, it's Instant Sermon Sunday this week at our church. And people bring their questions or comments, maybe about a Bible Bible verse or the context of something or, or some event that happened in the Bible. And they'll say, what can you make some sense of it? And we'll talk about those kinds of things. And I'm always glad to do that. I approach it a little bit wondering, okay, what are the people going to ask now? I have at various times tried to prepare because I would watch what's going on in the kind of media conversation, what's on television or in print media, try try to kind of anticipate what people might ask. So I'll think through some of those kind of things. Never has my preparation been correct. People always ask something different, and that's fine. I don't, I don't mind that at all, because the point is, let's talk about things, and let's make sure we apply the principles of the Bible to real life, and so people do ask some real-life questions. Now, lately, I've been thinking about the Bible a lot, because I believe I've mentioned here on the program that at our church, this is the year of the Bible. We've been doing this for a while, asking the Lord what we should focus on for a for a year at a time, and, and this year it was immediately apparent last fall as I prayed about that. It took no time at all for God to say, it's the year of the Bible. Oh, yeah, I should have gotten that. That's obvious because we we have been in a time that's drifted away from the Bible. We've thought, well, we better look at sociology for those kinds of answers or psychology for those kinds of answers or economics for economic answers, and we have forgotten that the Bible gives principles that address all of those things. And for years, centuries really, Christians started with the Bible, and now we don't in a lot of cases. We say, well, that's an issue of 
rocket science, so I better check the rocket science literature. Well, to be sure, I don't know of anything in the Bible that talks specifically about rocket science, but it does talk about the principles of life and how we might use rocket science or abuse rocket science. So my hope is that we can refocus our efforts and refocus our minds so that we look and see what the Bible says about things. We can look at all the other information. All truth is God's truth. And I'm not worried that the Bible is going to be proven wrong by some scientific discovery or some economic theory. I don't think there's a possibility of that at all because God knows what he's doing and he wrote the Bible for us. So let me tackle a couple of those questions. We'll, we'll see if we can get to this one. I don't know if we can um, if, if we can cover all of that in the time we have before we take a break. But if we need to take a break in the minute, we will. Or in the middle of it, we will. So as I said, this is the year of the Bible at our church. And, and so I'm encouraging everyone to focus on the Bible. And so someone says, I'm new to the Bible and find it a little overwhelming. Can you help? Well, yeah, I can. Uh, and it's easy to be overwhelmed because the Bible's a big, thick book. It's like no other book that we have. Many of us, we, our Bibles are leather-bound, and we don't have many leather-bound books except Bibles around. So right away, by its physical appearance, it's a unique book. It's written on thin, special paper, and, and that's kind of makes it nice, and we enjoy that. But it can be intimidating. And, and when we're new to it, we can find it a little overwhelming. Well, first thing I want to say is, if you find yourself being a little overwhelmed by the Bible, let me encourage you just to take a step back or take a breath or do something to recalibrate here because any, anything that's new can overwhelm us. But the Bible certainly doesn't need to, and we must not be overwhelmed. It's the same way that I've said more than once. We shouldn't be intimidated by words. Don't be intimidated because the Bible is a book that you aren't familiar with. Maybe you've never heard the name Hezekiah. Well, it's in the Bible. You'll learn. Don't worry about it. Maybe you've never heard some of the Bible stories that people refer to as though they've known them all their life. Some of us have. But just because they're new to you, don't be overwhelmed. Just tackle them a little bit at a time. And you can do that. It's, it's not really necessary for you to, to approach the Bible and say, well, I know everything, therefore I'll, I'll approach the Bible. No, you just have to start in and allow those things to develop over time. And you do that by going to church. Have I mentioned that you need to be attending church every week? Have I mentioned lately that you should get involved in a Bible study, a group of people that will have a conversation about the Bible that will help you understand. That will help you get over the overwhelming feeling. Go sit with some of those people. Some of those people will know a lot more about the Bible than you do, and you're going to feel like kind of you're in the slow group. Ah, it's okay, don't worry. Most of those people that know the Bible, if the Bible has taken root in their heart, they will be the ones who will help you the most because they have compassion. They care about you and they will help you understand it. So go to church, meet some fine people, and make sure you choose a church that's faithful to the Bible. We have some problems with that these days. I'm not going to attack a church here, but I want to really encourage you to check them out to make sure that the Bible is, is viewed as, treated as, handled as the Word of God. Make sure they're strong on that. Find a group in that church that, that you can study the Bible with, 
they will have insights and they will be able to tell you their stories of how they learned and, and grew in understanding the Bible. And little by little, you will begin to understand. Little by little, you will make sense of it. It won't happen overnight. It'll happen a little bit at a time. If you go to church, you'll sing some songs that will make some connections about God and the Bible. Many times the great hymns of the church are references from the Bible itself. And you may begin to recognize some of those. Some of them you won't, but you'll begin to recognize what is the truth and what God wants us to understand. And it will help you not feel so overwhelmed if you will just take it as it comes. Anything new is overwhelming. Anything new. So just expect that and then let it, let it come and take it a little bit at a time. And that kind of leads us into the next question, and I know we don't have time for it before we get to the break, but let me just set it up, and then we'll come back to it. But this question, this person says, I'm trying to learn more about what the Bible says. I'm really a beginner. Where should I start? Should I read the Bible through, starting in Genesis? Should I learn the Bible stories? Should I focus on one portion of the Bible and become familiar with it first? Well, the ordinary part of me is tempted to say, yes all of the above. But really, that's no help at all. And I want to talk about that in specifically. You know, the question of where do we start? The question of the Bible stories. The question of, well, if I want to become familiar with some important part of the Bible, which part should I start with? And I think we can come up with some pretty good answers to that. And, and maybe in the meantime, while we're taking this break, you can begin to think about that and, and see how you would answer that question. Some of you are quite insightful. So you have a lot of wisdom. How would you help someone who was really a beginner and wanted to get started on, on learning the story of the Bible? Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, and we are developing our confidence in God, and we're going to continue that in just a moment. Stay with us. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. 
We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. Here we go. We're back on Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We're a real church with real people, and we're delighted you've joined us here on the program this week where we stretch toward God's high calling, where we don't shrink from what God wants us to do. We learn from our mistakes and we do better the next time because God gives us grace, he gives us capacity, and we are going to become the people who are known as the followers of Jesus who are faithful and who have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we've been talking about a number of things today and Part of that is because this is Instant Sermon Sunday this week at our church, and people will bring in their ideas, their questions, and we'll have a conversation. They don't expect me to have full and complete answers. It's a beginning to help us think about it. They know that they could easily they could easily ask questions I wouldn't have any idea about. We have some really smart people in our church. So we talk about the things that that concern us and what the Bible has to say about them and how we can make sense of them or sometimes make meaning out of the tragedies of life. So we ended up talking about this question that that I posed to us. Where do we start? If we're a beginner to the Bible, where do we start? Do we read the Bible all the way through? So let's talk about that first. Should I read the Bible through starting in Genesis? Well, the answer is sure. Why not? But there's a little qualification to that. It's a discipline that many people follow every year. I've got no quarrel with that. I think it's commendable. They like to start in every year in January and start in with Genesis and read through the whole Bible at least once in that year. Some people do that every year for long portions of their life. Good for them. I'm glad for them. If that helps, then do it. At the same time, if you're new to the Bible, it might not help as much as some other approaches. And there's no command in the Bible that says you need to read the Bible through any every year. There just isn't. The Bible is more about us getting the principles of the Bible into our lives and making the principles of the Bible the guiding force in our lives, the guiding priority of our lives. That's more what the Bible is about than checking a box and saying, I read the Bible this year. You can read the Bible mindlessly just to get it through. And we should approach the Bible as this is God's gift to me. It's not just something I need to get done. So if, it, if it's something that appeals to you and you like that discipline and it's helpful for you, then sure, go ahead. At the same time, there is much to be gained from learning the Bible stories. I've said this many times to people. I'm not sure yet people believe me, but I'm absolutely convinced that if we would learn the Bible stories, it would help us a lot. That's not going to be everything we need to know, but you can get a Bible story book. You can get a, what I humorously call and and reverently call a comic book Bible. It's really a, a Bible that's illustrated 
it's not it's it's not a comic book it's meant to be a graphic novel they say these days but first ones I saw looked like they were drawn like comic books and I thought that was a good description well you can learn the Bible stories that way you're not going to learn the same things you would learn by studying a standard text of the Bible but you'll learn the names of the character characters you'll learn what they did you'll learn the, the mistakes they made you'll learn how God helped them you'll learn how God corrected them so there's a lot to be learned from the Bible stories and when we begin to 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 grasp the whole overall picture of the Bible. In other words, the story of the Bible does start at the beginning and go to the end of time as described in Revelation. There is that arc of that story, and you can learn where these individual stories fit into that. So you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. Well, it's a good story. You should learn it. You should read about it if you're not familiar with it. Well, and then as you get more familiar with things, you'll see how that fits in to the whole story of what God is talking about. So learning the Bible stories is a good good focus as well. Again, will that help you? Will that nurture your confidence in God? Well, if it does, then do that. If reading through the Bible and that discipline nurtures your confidence in God, do that. And sometimes people say, should I focus on a smaller part of the Bible and get really familiar with it before I tackle another section. Well, maybe. Yes, why not? All these are good ideas. The, the question is not, is it a good idea? The question is, what will help you the most? So here's what I would say if, if you're really new to the Bible or really wanting to get your arms around it, want to develop what we might call biblical literacy, where you understand the, the basic sense of the Bible, I would encourage you to become familiar with the story of Jesus first. The story of Jesus is in the New Testament. That's the second part of the Bible. It starts with the, with the Gospel of Matthew. So it has Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four in a row at the beginning of the New Testament. They all tell the story of Jesus a little bit differently. Same story, same guy, same Jesus all the way through there. But they tell the story a little bit differently. So if you're new and you want to know where to start, start with the story of Jesus. Those four. Now, which one of those four would you start with? Now, you're going to have different people tell you different things. I'm not here to quarrel over one being right and one being wrong. It's all the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all are the gospel. They're four different stories. They all tell the gospel, the good news of Jesus. But I want to suggest that if you are starting and you want a good place to get started, start with the Gospel of Mark. Now, it doesn't start with the birth of Jesus, so don't be dismayed. It starts with an introductory section and gets right into the baptism of Jesus, and away we go. There's a lot of action in that story of, of Mark as he tells the story of Jesus. It, it keeps you moving forward. A lot of incredibly insightful things take place, and it's short enough that you can begin to get a grasp of the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark. So if you're new to the story of Jesus, then start with the Gospel of Mark. And once you finish the Gospel of Mark, wait for it, get ready, go back through the Gospel of Mark again. What? Yeah, that's right. If you really want to get a grasp of things and you really want to get a grasp of the story of Jesus, spend some more time in the Gospel of Mark. Go through it once. Really, if you have the time and the first time through, you can sit down and read the whole 
Gospel of Mark at one time or listen to it at one time. Maybe you prefer an audio version of it. Perfectly fine. Enjoy it. There are some great ones out there. But go through it at one time, at one sitting. Go through all the, all the chapters in the Gospel of Mark. It's not that long. You can do it. You will be amazed at how beneficial it is. If you can't do the whole thing, then try to do half of it. Try to read half of it. You know, just divide the chapters up and go from there. And then read the next half. And then go back and, and do that again. Read through it again. Maybe read through it a third time. Begin to get a sense of the flow of the story so that when you read one story, you remember, oh yeah, now I know what's happening next. Or, okay, I read this and I know what happened just before that. And you'll begin to make some connections between that and just kind of let it soak in. Now, once you've done that two, three, four, whatever times it helps you, then go back and take smaller pieces of it and think through them. Now, sometimes we're so intent on getting something done, we just sit down and we're going to read this, and I'm going to get these chapters read no matter what. Nothing's going to keep me from getting them read. Well, that's great. Wonderful. Congratulations. But if you want the Bible to sink in, once you've kind of gotten this grasp of the whole book of Mark, go back and look at some of the stories individually. Go back and look early in the Gospel of Mark. There's the story of the of the guys who carried their friend to Jesus and they had to let him down through the roof of the house. Well, that's quite fascinating. Think that through. Put yourself in the place of those characters. Ask yourself, what is the what is the message that I'm supposed to get out of this? What is the amazement? Oh, and by the way, I'll give that away. The, the man couldn't walk, but he can when Jesus is finished with him. Well, that's quite remarkable. What's going on with that? Well, go back a little farther toward the first of the book, and, and you'll notice that there's something really special about Jesus because when he's baptized, something really important happens. You remember what that is? Well, go read in the first part of the Gospel of Mark. And that something that happens as, as he comes up out of the water from being baptized really tells us an awful lot about Jesus and what's going to go on from there on through the Gospel of Mark. It's very important. And then real quick, Jesus announces that he's arrived. He makes an announcement, I think it's still in the first chapter of Mark, that the kingdom of God has come near. And that's a pretty big deal. Very big deal. Well, Look at that and think, now, wow, well, look what's happened in the story of Mark up to this point. And how does Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of God has come near relate to his baptism? Oh, yeah, I get it. That special event that took place at his baptism tells us that Jesus now is among us representing God himself. And then you'll remember, oh, that's right. People have always told me that Jesus is God and that he's human. And isn't this interesting? Now I begin to understand what that means and why it matters. See, that's the kind of thing you can get when you think about stuff. And you don't have to race through it. You can ponder these things. Spend a little time thinking about it. One of the, one of the biggest things that people get tripped up on is they think, I can't understand the Bible. Well, I will admit to you, it talks about a very strange ancient world. A world that we have so little familiarity with, we just don't know. I, I get that. You get that. It's a different world in a different time. They spoke a different language. They had different cultural customs. Totally different. They ate strange food. 
How many of us enjoy dry fish for supper? You know, uh, not really. No thanks. Particularly when the fish that they caught out of the Sea of Galilee was often carp. I'll take grouper any day. So it's a different world, totally different world. And, and it takes us a little effort to kind of get used to that. But there are people too. And we can begin to think about what Jesus says, what Jesus does, how the people respond to him, and how that all begins to make sense to us because we're beginning to think through, we're beginning to think God's thoughts with him. And see, that's a good way to, to think about this. When you read the Bible, it's not just reading some abstract story that someone wrote down. What we're doing is we're thinking God's thoughts with him because we understand that the Bible was inspired. And by inspiration, that means that God inspired the people that wrote it down, Mark, that wrote it down to write it in a certain way, to tell the story of Jesus in a certain way. Yes, the way he tells us is different from Matthew, but God wanted Mark's way written down. And so we look at that and we say, okay, what is, what is it that God wants me to get from this because he wants me to think his thoughts along with him? And when we do that, we begin to understand. When we don't do that, are you ready for this? Hang on. I hope you're sitting down. When we don't do that, we jump to conclusions without thinking it through. And you're really blessed if you're around somebody who can think these things through and help you kind of tease these things out. That's what a good Bible study will do for you. That's what a good pastor will do for you. And when we begin to ponder this stuff and, and think it through, then we can understand it better. And, and we're not just going based upon what we thought we heard sometime a long time ago. For example, I always grew up in church. I can't remember not going to church. I can remember being so bored in church when I was a kid that, well, I thought it'd never end. Of course it did end, and of course I was a kid, and that's what kids do. They think that way. I can remember a lot of those kind of things, but I know that I heard a lot of things, and I learned a lot of things, and I'm really grateful for that because I was exposed to those. But I also know that I caught some things that may not have been fully correct because I was a kid. Now, maybe somebody said it a certain way, and that was their idea, and maybe they weren't wrong. Maybe they were not quite sure, and maybe they didn't quite think it through, and maybe they were a little bit wrong in the way they were explaining it. Well, I don't hold that against them. That's just life. But now, as a grown-up, I have to step back and rethink all of that, and you should too. Don't assume just because you heard it one way or thought they said it one way. I, I don't ever blame the people that that I grew up with for, for my understandings of the Bible or misunderstandings that resulted from being exposed to them. That's, that's all on me. That's not on them because who knows what they said and what I thought they said. could be a huge difference. So just allow the Bible to speak to you. And if you find that helpful, then go through Mark like that. Then pick another one. Maybe next pick Luke. It's got the familiar story of Jesus' birth at the beginning. Maybe you want to take Luke and do the same thing. Think it through. Begin to notice things. You'll begin to notice how one of the Gospels tells the same story as another of the Gospels. And you'll say, hmm, I wonder why this guy told it this way and this guy told it this way. And that'll begin to help you make sense of that. It just begins to, it begins to sink down in your thought process and in your soul, and you can begin to benefit from that. So anyway, that's a long answer for kind of a short question, but maybe it'll help you get tied up into or in tune with the Bible somehow. 
Well, here's another question, totally different subject. Uh, sometimes the news seems all politics all the time. How do I sort through everything? The Bible teaches that we're part of the kingdom of God. Should I just ignore everything else? Well, that's an easy question. Should I ignore everything else? Absolutely not. No, we're not meant to ignore what goes on in the world around us. The Bible says, overcome evil with good. And so when we hear things, we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to know what's good and evil that's going on. And we shouldn't just ignore it. Now, you might need a little perspective on it if you're feeling a little bit like the questioner seems to, to feel. Sometimes all the news seems all politics all the time. Well, here's a, here's a thought. Absorb less news. Listen to it less or read less about it. Uh, turn off the television if you usually get your news by television, especially if you get your news by television. Turn off the television. And, and don't expose yourself to all of that. And you'll be surprised what, what changes in you. Years ago, I can remember wanting a new car. It finally dawned on me the reason I wanted a new car because I was getting a news magazine and they had lots of new car advertisements in the news magazine. Uh, at one point, I quit getting the news magazine and my fueled desire for a new car diminished. I'd still like a new one, but not now. I'm doing fine right now. But anyway, you get the idea. If you need to turn it off, turn it off. Now, the other thing is that we need to have some perspective on that as Christians. And I've said for a long time that politics is the pursuit of political power. People get involved in politics because they want to hold office or something, and they want to have power to influence the process, to get what they want done. Nothing inherently wrong with wanting a responsibility, having a responsibility that that requires you to make decisions, expects you to make good decisions. We need good people doing that. I don't define it that way to say it's bad. I know there's a lot of bad in politics. Believe me, I know there's a lot of bad in politics. But there's a lot of bad in a lot of things these days and probably has always been that way. So politics is, is the pursuit of political power. It's a pr pursuit of power where you can have influence on on public policy and all those kinds of things. Nothing wrong with wanting to have that responsibility. We need Christians with that responsibility. But all of us, all of us who are citizens need to think about citizenship. And that, as I've come to describe it, is the pursuit of righteous government. So when I talk about an issue of the day, sometimes I've talked about education and the the need for solutions and education in Florida. I don't do that from a political perspective. I do that because I'm a citizen and I want the best for our children. And I'm pursuing a righteous outcome in our school system. And I think we should all do that. I don't think any of us should leave that out. What I do know is that if righteous people, if good people withdraw from those conversations, guess who's going to make the decisions? Right. The not so good people. So we need to be good citizenships and citizens and think of our citizenship responsibilities carefully. Now, as an illustration of, of the messiness of, of the whole process, a few weeks ago, we watched the what some people call the spectacle of the United States House of Representatives trying to choose a speaker. Speaker of the House presides over the House chamber and, and pretty much runs things. Speaker is elected by the party that has the most people because they need the most votes to get elected. And so we watched as the Republicans, who now have the majority, small majority in the United States Congress, try to elect a speaker. And it got kind of messy. 
And, and I was amused, frankly, at the people who says, oh, they just need to get on with it. It's messy. It's embarrassing. It shouldn't happen this way. And I, and I felt just the opposite of that. I thought it's messy and good. It's about time we had some honest conversations. It's messy, and, and I'm thankful that the representatives up there are standing up for something. They're, they stand on principle. They want certain things to happen. They're not satisfied with the status quo. The status quo isn't always good. And I didn't know how it was going to come out. I'm acquainted with one of the people that was involved because he represents my congressional district, but I don't really know all that's going on. But what I saw and what was reported publicly was exactly what I want to go on. I want a robust conversation so that we can get to better decisions. And all the people that were so upset by that just didn't seem to be able to figure that out. And we need to understand that that's the way we get better government. That's the way we get righteous government, when people have a chance to engage in those conversations and and make a difference. Well, let's take one more. I think we've got time for one more. Um, Someone asked, I've heard some really troubling things about what is happening in public schools. From racism by school board members to books and other things I would never want my children to see. What can I do? Well, the question is a good one, and it gets to a lot of things, and it only really touches the surface of what's going on in many public schools. And I'm sad to say, as I grew up, I'm a product of public schools. I went to them all my life until college. I had good teachers. I maybe had some scoundrel teachers. I really never knew that because nobody ever talked bad about my teachers. I always respected them. I learned a lot from some of them. One of them really inspired me to do better. But the situation is different now. We never used to hear school board members making racist statements, as I heard a school board member from Jackson, Michigan, make recently. It was outrageous. That school board member should no longer be a school board member if that's the way she thinks. It was just simply unacceptable for someone with that responsibility to be talking that way. The other things the question mentions are equally concerning. There There is some dreadful literature that's available for our students. There was a book that, that came to our attention some time ago. Uh, I think it's Killing Mr. Griffin, if I remember the title correctly. It was about students planning to kill a teacher. I mean, those have no place in our schools. That kind of stuff is not what we want to teach our students. And so this person who is concerned about this is rightfully concerned. Now, I'm going to work to try to make our public schools better because we have tens of thousands of students that will be in our public schools and we need the best for them. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I want to strongly encourage you parents to check out the schools your kids go to, to see what's going on, to ask important questions, visit the school. Sometimes they won't let you in. Try to visit the school library. Try to see what's in there, what kind of material. There's a lot of I mean, they use the excuse that it's prize-winning material, so they put it in the public school library for our children when it's just reprehensible, horrible stuff. But check it out and, and find out what's going on. And maybe even if you don't check it out, well, certainly even if you don't check it out, I want to strongly encourage you to find an alternate school for your children. I'm not here to say that the teachers that teach your kids in their classes are bad people. Many of them are good people. I know teachers, and I'm glad for them. They do a good job. They're Christians. I'm glad for Christians to be teachers, aren't you? I had many Christian teachers. 
I don't think the teachers are the biggest part of the problem. They get trapped and stuck in some of this stuff. But they're your children, and you have a responsibility for them. And if I can speak pastorally, I would say this. You need to get your children in a Christian environment that can teach them what God says and that can teach them God's perspective on the world. Now, every school that calls themselves Christian may not do that. That's why you need to check it out. But you only get one chance to raise your children. And some of our kids are being formed by educational systems that will leave them far from God. They may even turn on you, their parents, their families, because of what they've been indoctrinated with in school. If you're a Christian family, I want to strongly encourage. It's never been easier to find alternatives. I know it sounds like an unbelievably difficult challenge. Look around, ask your friends, do some web searches. There are school options available to you. And if you're in Florida, you have especially good options. But that's a little bit different story, and I don't want to get distracted on Florida. But I want to be laser focused that if you can at any, any possibility, any point, any chance that you can get your kids in a private education that will teach them what God says and from a Christian perspective, do it. You will not be sorry. And you don't want to live with a lifetime of regret for how your children learn at school. Well, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is Faith Is, and I don't mean to end with a downer because I have faith and confidence in God, and He's going to save us. I'll be back next week.